Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, let's go to the Word this morning. We're in a series entitled Joy, and today we're going to talk about gospel maturity Part one, obedience to Jesus. I'll just warn you, I'm not going to finish the message today. Um, it's actually part one A. Like I'm, I'm outlining it on the fly here, okay? I realized this. I lived in fear of this all week as I was trying to finish the manuscript. And during the preaching of the first service, I realized I should have taken the Spirit's unction during the week. But I took it in the first service, and so you're going to get it in this service and the third service as well. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Actually, verse 12 today is where we're going to be. And talking about gospel maturity, let me ask you this to begin. Have you ever heard yourself say something to the effect of, it's time for you to grow up? I didn't say, have you ever heard someone say it to you? That's far too universal of an experience. Have you ever heard yourself say that to someone? If you're a parent, you probably have, unless your children are young enough that you're frustrated by the fact that they wouldn't even know what you meant when you said it, so you haven't said it yet to them, but you're waiting. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about this? What time exactly are you referring to when you tell them it's time for you to grow up? What time is that? Right? I mean, why have we not used a different analogy? Because we're not talking about, you know, TikToks on the clock kind of time, right? We're talking about like a stage of life, an age of life. And, and really, I think the time that we're talking about is when actions align with that stage of life. So when you came into existence, there were things that were so cute the first two years. But I'm telling you, if you're still repeating those things at year 30, 40, 50, and beyond, they're not cute anymore no one's laughing right I mean nothing is more unattractive or off-putting than immaturity a lack of maturity right I mean it's okay I'm not setting you up for anything you can agree with me here I hope you do but immaturity basically is just when our actions are not aligned with our age or stage of life and so maturity denotes that Our actions do align with where we are, if you will, in life. Well, we're going to talk about gospel maturity day, Christian maturity. What does it look like to mature in the faith? And I hope that you walk away from today encouraged and helped. Let's go to the text. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the two verses I thought that I would get through today. But uh, for our sake, we'll stick in verse 12. Philippians 2 verse 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. God looked on Jesus' sacrifice and he was pleased. That's what we saw in the previous verses 5 through uh, 8. 
And he responded in verses 9 through 11 by exalting Jesus in a way like none have ever been nor shall ever be exalted. And what Paul does in reminding us of that in verses 5 through 11 is he turns now and he begins to exhort the Philippians and how it is that they should live because of what we know about God's pleasure in Christ's atoning sacrifice for us. That God was satisfied. And so there is a way that we can live differently because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so he says to them, I'm confident as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now, now that's a good indication of obedience and of maturity right there, right? Let's, let's use something a little less pervasive. Let's talk about animals instead of children, okay? You know your dog has come to want to obey you when they do what you tell them, not only when you're there, but when you're not there, right? And some of y'all are like, we're supposed to train our dogs to do it when we're not there too? I thought you just locked them up in a kennel. Okay, let's take this into, uh, let's take this into real life. You teach your children a way of life and they obey when you're there. Why? Because they know the consequences aren't worth the small inconvenience of just doing it to impress you while you're in their presence. But when you're not there, whether or not they do it says something about whether they've really learned the value of obedience, right? That's maturity. And that's what Paul is saying here. Obey as you always have in the past, not just in my presence, but when I'm not there as well. Because your obedience is not about me It's about something else, and that something else is what we're looking at today. He directs them to focus on Jesus and to operate their very lives out of the unity they have together. He's addressing the church together, and he exhorts the Philippians to a gospel maturity for maximum glory and joy. Yes, glory and joy. And that's our focus for today, the glory of God and the joy of his people And here's what I want you to walk away with today. Just the the main idea is this, that Christians mature in Jesus' likeness as they work out their faith and obedience, what God has worked in them by the gospel. As they work out by faith and obedience, what God has worked in them by the gospel. And so Paul builds the focus here to exhort them to a Christian maturity by the gospel because this is in fact how it is that one pursues Joy. Now let me hit pause on the message for a moment and talk about the series that we're in. Because the series is entitled Joy. Joy is a theme that is threaded throughout this letter. 16 times Paul references joy either in the word joy or in the command to rejoice or in the state of being, be glad. 16 times he's threading it through. He's saying to us that there is a way for us to know the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ, but it's not just like an automatic that never goes away. You see, Christian maturity is the joy factory of our faith. And there have been weeks in which we haven't talked explicitly about joy because joy for the Christian is not just something we put at the center of our bullseye and go, okay, let's run after it. As a matter of fact, if joy is what you aim for, the likelihood that you miss Jesus is very, 
very strong. Why? Because you will find joy in your earthly happiness and it will satisfy temporarily the demands that you feel while not addressing the deeper longings that create those desires. But joy, friends, speaks to us at every level of our being. And that's why our aim is to look to Jesus and to see what he wants to do in us and to know he will bring his joy to us. You see, the more we work out our faith to grow in obedience, the greater the gospel pervades more deeply into our heart, into our mind, into our soul. And it begins to permeate more completely through our whole being. And it fills us and it, it consumes us to overflowing with the joy from Jesus. You see, the Christian who is not maturing always experiences a joy deficiency. It doesn't mean that you never have instances of experiencing it, but it never lasts, it never remains, it never sustains. There's a joy deficiency while the one that is maturing always knows a joy abundance. A joy abundance. In other words, no matter how much of it you expend, no matter how much of it you need or depend on or give away, you never find your source lessening. There's an abundance of it. And so the process of Christian maturity reminds us of true joy as the aim of our walk with Jesus. That joy is neither, as we have said, or as I have said, hopefully you're agreeing, is neither just the frills nor the feels that we often reduce it to, but rather joy is God's staying power in our life because it is the reality of his stayed presence in our life. Joy is the reality of God's staying power in our life, no matter what we come against or what comes against us. Because it is the reality of his stayed presence within us. And so my aim for today is to help us understand Christian maturity. And in our understanding to motivate us to a zealous pursuit with our whole life of Jesus. To know that he supplies freely and abundantly the joy that only he can give. And so here's how we're going to run at this today. Christian maturity that produces abounding joy should be understood in three distinctives. We're going to identify three distinctives. Actually, today we're only going to get to two. And the third will be next week. You'll have to come back. Three distinctives. Distinctive number one is this. A Christian maturity is determined by obedience to Jesus. Christian maturity is determined by obedience to Jesus. Go back to the text and look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always what? Obeyed. So now, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, as we've just looked at, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Christian maturity is determined by obedience to Jesus. Paul draws from their past experience and to exhort them to a continued obedience. Look, that wasn't a one and done. That wasn't just something for then and not for now. This is the way of our joy sourcing of life is a continued obedience to Jesus. And you see, obedience to Jesus is the definition of Christian maturity for two reasons, really. Jesus' obedience is the very thing that distinguished his sacrifice as different from all others. 
The scripture tells us, specifically in Romans 5, that, that Jesus was a sacrifice that God looked upon and responded with pleasure and satisfaction because he was the only lamb who was perfect and could be offered up for that. But even more so, he was the lamb who willingly laid down his life to be offered up for that. And so Jesus' obedience was the very thing that distinguished him in his sacrifice. That's what Paul teaches us in, second, or in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. But the second of that is the saying that God saved us for obedience to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you have some other concept of what Christian salvation is all about. But do not confuse God's purpose in salvation with some pseudo or substitute understanding that the world has sold to you. God saves you to walk by faith in obedience to Jesus. Now there are different ways that we talk about this. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are to walk by the Spirit. And Paul talks about it in different ways in different parts of the scripture. But it is all an indication of this one truth that we are saved to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. You see, the work of God for us by the gospel compels us to continue in his work by our obedience. You say, well, what is Christian maturity? If, if it's determined by obedience to Jesus, really, what is Christian maturity? How would we define it? Well, Paul has done that for us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Here's the way that Paul defines mature manhood or mature Christianity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, it doesn't take an instant of, of, of meditation on those phrases to know this. I'm out. I'm nowhere near that. To the measure, I'm not on the same measuring stick as Christ. Of the stature, there's no way there's any comparison. And surely not in the fullness, if not to the first two. But when he tells us that this is the definition of Christian maturity, he's not telling us what we must accomplish for God. He's casting vision. He's helping us understand that the revelation of what God wants for us, what God wants to do in us, and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. It's not something we can accomplish on our own. We don't even know the way on our own. But Christ is the king come down to die for us and calls us to walk with him. There is no Christian maturity without obedience to Jesus' commands. Hear me when I say this, because we live in a day and time that's convoluting this message that makes obedience optional, preferential, and mostly just highly opinionated. But that's not the way Scripture presents it. Obedience to Jesus is not for options. There is no Christian maturity without obedience to Jesus, but even more than that, friends, and you may find yourself here today, there is no Christianity without obedience to Jesus. There is no Christianity without obedience to Jesus. You say, well, pastor, are you trying to make me doubt my salvation? No, friends, I can't make you doubt your salvation. 
I'm trying to make you ask of yourself what you understand to be true about God and so to clarify in your own mind and heart what God is doing in you. It may cause you to ask the question of yourself, have I been saved? Am I born again? Have I been made new? Or has my participation around and near this group that calls themselves Christians been just simply a ritual where nothing new has ever been made in me. I'm not going to let you off the hook, but it's not my hook. I can't determine that for you, only to give you some revelation from God by his word that helps you to discern the truth of the matter. You see, this does not mean that our maturity determines our salvation. That is not true. What is true is that our maturity shows our salvation by our sanctification. Our sanctification. And sanctification is that process of our becoming more like Jesus in this life. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But as we consider that Christian maturity is determined by obedience to Jesus, I want to offer you a helpful process in your own understanding to know where you are with God. Because the true measure of maturity is determined by what I would call two gaps. Two gaps. The first gap is what I've labeled the obedience gap. The obedience gap. The obedience gap is the difference or the distance between what you know and what you obey. What you know and what you obey. And the question is simply this. What have you done with what you know about God? Have you taken it in and gone, hey, you know what? He's God. That's great. And put it to the side and made it practically and functionally inconsiderable for your daily life. It's not as if you've thrown it away. You've just thrown it to the side. What have you done with what you know? Is there a gap between what you know to be true of God and what he says in his word and how you are living by faith for God? That's the obedience gap. Because to know God's commands and not obey, hear me, is a revolution of sinful rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's nothing shy of that. And any way in which we seek to diminish it or make light of our sin is nothing more than more mantras of the battle cry of our own selfish revolution. This is what the obedience gap measures. The second gap is what I call the response gap. So whereas the obedience gap measures the difference between what you know and what you obey, the response gap measures the time between when you learn it and when you obey it. How quickly do you trust to obey? How quickly do you trust to obey? Because here's what we understand with the response gap. Delayed obedience is always disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And when you're considering true, the true measure of Christian maturity, the greater the gap in the obedience gap and the response gap, the lesser the maturity. And the smaller the gap, the greater the maturity. In other words, when you come into the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for you and what he has commanded of you and you say, Lord, I think that's good. I'll get back to it later. 
then immediately you've widened the obedience and the response gap. Because now you know, but you've not yet obeyed. And when you learn, you put it off to obey until a later time. But when you say, Lord, you've revealed yourself to me, and this is what your word says, this is how I believe I'm supposed to live that out by faith, I will go and do now. You are beginning to, in, 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 the, in the, the, uh, all eternity, if you will, in the here and now, though, be able to measure some sense of maturity and growth in your own life. When you receive his word as good for you, it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. doesn't mean it's not going to challenge you. doesn't mean that, that it's not going to be in some way difficult. But yet, you're closing the gaps between yourself and what you know of God. Maturity is about cultivating what we know of God's word as it determines how we live by faith and walk with God. Closing the gaps, obeying by faith as and when the Holy Spirit convicts us and leads us. I, I would argue that this is much of what Romans is teaching us when it tells us what the work of the Holy Spirit is in our life. And it says that the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. Conviction, it's the presence of God constricting the heart, if you will, to say, God is speaking. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God works by bringing conviction in regards to sin, conviction in regards to righteousness, and conviction in regards to judgment. And when the Holy Spirit is working, the Holy Spirit will take the light of the truth of God's word and begin to work it into the dark areas of our thinking, of our feeling, of our acting, of our lives completely. And when the Spirit says, this is sin, this is sin in you, our right response is not to go, but no. Our right response is to go, yes and amen. Repent of that sin because the Spirit of God, and you may not even fully understand how you've lived that sin out, but the Spirit, as you say yes, your faith is all of a sudden becoming unpacked and the Spirit begins to show you how that sin, whether it's an attitude or an outward action, either one, is, is leading you away from God. But the Spirit also brings conviction and righteousness that you are walking with God, not just self-determining what you're going to do for God, but as you walk in the light, as you walk by the Spirit, as Paul talks about it in Galatians, the Spirit is convicting you regarding righteousness. That's why you encounter people at the store and you feel, you sense the Spirit of God encouraging you to speak to them, to encourage them, to share the gospel with them, to, to, to do something, something so radical practical that it seems that it's not necessarily spiritual but because you're obeying to the spirit of God at work in your heart you're obeying God and you're walking in the light and it might be something as simple as picking something up for someone but you not knowing what's going on in their heart and life because of the act at that instant in their life God opens the door for you to encourage them to share the gospel with them And so he leads us by convicting us in righteousness the things that we need to be about doing to walk in the light as he is in the light. And he convicts us of judgment. You know what judgment speaks to? The time is now, not then. Because then there will come a time 
when we will answer for every indication that the Spirit worked in our heart and life and that the Word proclaimed to us and we said no to. Now is the time. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not because October the 24th of 2021 is a special day, although every day is a special day when you walk by faith in Christ. But because when the Spirit speaks, when God leads, that's when God is wanting to work. And that's how he works in your heart and in your life. A mature Christian constantly lives to close the gaps and live fully aligned with God's word by obedience. You see, the Christian who wants to experience abounding joy from maturity must be careful to obey Jesus in all things. Now, while Christian maturity is obedience, remember, do not confuse obedience with perfected performance. Perfected performance is not what we're talking about here. The mature Christian knows this, that maturity is never about a point of arrival or a place of habitation It is, listen to me, a process. Christian maturity is a process. The most mature believers in Jesus that you will ever meet will be those who have the deepest understanding of no matter how far God has brought them, how much further they really have to go to be like him. It doesn't mean they're discouraged. Actually, not at all. As Paul said, as you have always obeyed, They're encouraged by the way that they've walked with Christ and the many things that they've seen God do in their life. But every time that they obey and they're brought more deeply into the presence of God, they get a little deeper insight into the bigness and the grandness and the majestic nature of his being. And they go, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I had no idea. Did you see that article this week? Some divers in a local cave area around here because of some new technology and diving equipment, were able to go beyond the 200 feet that had limited them in this cave. And I can't remember the name of the cave, but it's in this region. And they had, uh, they had, uh, uh, were diving in this cave. They had been down to about 200 feet, but this new equipment was going to let them go deeper. And they got to, I believe the number was 343 feet deep. Have no idea why anybody would want to be that far underwater, Right? Six inches is plenty for me. (laughs) But when they got down there, they realized that there was a cavern of a proportion that the article said they had no idea. It was massive. And it's a cavern that they want to return to so they can further explore it. You see, that's what it's like when you walk in obedience to Jesus. Every inkling of yes to God introduces you to a deeper cavern of glory and of joy that's just waiting for you to completely explore and get to know him more. It's a process, friends. That's why he says at the end of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Some versions say continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And trembling. It's a process. You see, and that's the second distinctive I want you to understand. Christian maturity is a learned process of trusting Jesus. A learned process. Now, you might say, Pastor, don't you mean a process of learning? Well, yes, but not only. 
There's two aspects to this that I want to point out. That's why I call it a learned process. Paul says this, work out. What he means by that is that that you're laboring in something, not just to be busy at it, but to cultivate and produce through it. No no farmer plants a seed just so he can go, we got them in the soil and it's over. No, daily they're watching and they're waiting for the sprout to emerge through and then the full stalk to grow up so that the fruit can come from the seed that was planted. And that's what he's talking about here. You need to labor in your relationship with God as you have always obeyed so in my presence, so now even more in my absence. Work out, continue to labor in this relationship with God because there's more that he has for you and he wants for you. It's not just something we do for God outside of Christ's atoning, atoning work and, and that is absent of his presence, but because We know he has borne us again in his uh, uh, grace and, and that he has made us new. There's a whole new me that's just waiting for my deeper understanding. That's what he is encouraging them in here. And one commentator put it in such a way that I think is so appropriate for us in our day and time that, that wars against this reductionistic understanding of salvation that says one and done, or I'm in, I got it, don't need to worry about it anymore. Paul is coming at that hard. Listen to what this commentator says about this phrase, work out your own salvation. He says this, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord obligates the believer to obey him. You don't hear much preaching or teaching today that talks about obligating a believer, that we have a duty to obey God. But listen, we worship the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Who are we to determine when we want to do it on our time and in our scale? And he doesn't just do it to heavy hand us. But listen, he goes on to say, hence, working out salvation does not mean working for salvation, but making salvation operational. That's what Paul is calling us to here, friends, this learned process. Man, I wanna wanna know God not just when I'm sitting in church and we're studying the word or singing or praying. I wanna know God when I'm standing in the grocery line and I'm waiting on these slow people who now have to check themselves out and they're still writing a check. I don't have the patience for this and God, I didn't pray for it. You know I don't pray that prayer. I don't wanna have to learn that lesson. I'm not a patient man. And I know y'all aren't either. I've watched you in those lines. It's gotten to where now you dial ahead and you pull into your slot and the first thing you think is, what is taking them so long? I am here. Am I right? Don't answer that. You see, we work out because of what we know is true of how God raised Jesus up. The Bible says that God saw what Jesus did and he called him out of the grave and in front of his disciples, he lifted him up to heaven and he seated him on a throne that no one else was worthy to sit on but Jesus fit perfectly. And that's the one we worship. 
And that's the one he's calling us to obedience, the one that is worthy of our obedience. We work out because of what we know he has worked for us, and that is what he is working in us. Work out means we learn to discern God's truth, to discern his will, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will, Paul says in Romans 12 too. And in discerning that will, we trust to walk in the light of that will by faith in our obedience. And sometimes it's because we see the glory of the way God wants us to walk. And sometimes we've not even conceived of the glory of the way in which God wants us to walk. But we know there is no other way that brings the joy that gives us the strength for our life. That's faith, friends. That's faith. Work out your own salvation. is a continual process. It's not a single action. It's actually a succession of single actions that continue throughout the whole of our life. And in so, we are becoming more like Jesus because we are engaging God's work for us and the work that he is doing in us to see it come to full fruition through us. What a glory that is. You see, maturity is the process because obedience must be learned. Learned. This should encourage us and it should frame everything about how we understand our life in Christ. Why do I say the process must be learned? Here's why. Because Hebrews 5.8 tells us that Jesus himself learned obedience. Now you think about this for a moment. You say, Pastor, are you saying Jesus was in some way less than perfect? I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you he learned obedience. There was never an instance when he was tempted that he entered into sin. We, we know in Matthew 4 that three explicit times after 40 days of fasting and prayer, Satan visited Jesus. Satan in the presence of God. And he tempted him three different times and every time, every time under the test and the trial of temptation, Jesus demonstrated perfection. Not First, out of performance, but first, out of faith in the Father. Because he said, the word says. That's faith expressed right there, friends. That's what we are being called to. Jesus learned obedience. We must learn obedience. Now, our learning process is not identical to his. But it is nonetheless the same. Christian maturity, friends, listen to me, is the process of an eternal reality that is true, already secured, done, now developing. I'm going to repeat that because I need you to understand how it is that Scripture presents our maturity in Christ. Christian maturity is a process of the eternal reality of God's truth, already secured, meaning the period is at the end of the sentence. It is a statement God has made about us. It cannot change. It will not change because it is dependent upon the very nature of God himself. Now developing. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about the word salvation in scripture. When we look at the whole counsel of God, salvation begins when, uh, uh, when convicted of our sin in faith, we repent and we receive new life. The Bible tells us we are made new. We are born again. We become a Christian. That's called justification. In our understanding, because we live in the confines of time, it happens at a point in time. Some of us know that point a little better than others. Some of us, it seemed more like a process, but nonetheless, we've come to understand 
that God at a point in time made us new because of repenting of sin and self and trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's justification, period. It's finished, it's done, it is eternally secured. On the other end of the spectrum is what we call glorification. It's what we all want, but none of us are running too fast towards it. It's okay if it waits another week or so, right? Glorification is that moment when we go to be with God in heaven for eternity. It's when we transcend out of the confines of time and we, usher, we are ushered into eternity in Jesus' presence in heaven with him. Now, when I say that it's okay if he waits, I'm saying we await his return or our being taken at death. That's what I'm saying you don't have to rush too quickly into. It's done. It's determined. That's already established, friends. But the time between justification and glorification is what we understand is sanctification. Now, sancta is a word that means holy. It's the, the, the word for holy in the New Testament is the word sanct or sancta. And what he is saying in our sanctification is that there is a process. And listen to me. When scripture speaks of a Christian's sanctification, it's not up for debate. Do you understand that? Our sanctification is as sure, is as confident, and it is as complete as it will ever be. This is an eternal reality now. And you're going, you don't know me, Pastor. I'd say to you, you don't know me either. But this is what God has said about both of us. And so I trust it. That our sanctification is as sure, is as confident, and as steady as our justification and our glorification. And when we as Christians dare to walk outside of obedience to Jesus, we're trying to deny something that God has made true of us that is already established in eternity. Remember what we said immaturity was? It's acting in such a way that is not in accordance to what? The age and the stage of your life. When a Christian walks in disobedience, everybody's like, geez, what is up? Why? Because God is sanctifying us. He's working in us. Listen, friends, we only see it from one perspective, but we believe it from his perspective. It is one in which we learn, but it is also a process itself that one must learn. As the church worships, as we fellowship, and as we serve together, we are all encouraged in the process. Listen, I don't want you to ever think light of how important it is for you simply to look at somebody in the eye when you walk into these buildings and to say, good morning, earth shattering, I know, right? But in that instant... You validate their presence. You say to them, you are seen and you are known and you are welcome. Because there are no few places in the world that you can go and be ignored. You should never be ignored in the church. And this is where it begins. You see, initially we learn in the process. So in, in this process, we learn in the process. And we learn what? Well, we learn lessons we learn truths, and from those truths, we often develop principles. The whole first chapter of Philippians, I gave you what? I gave you five principles 
that the Christian life is based upon. Why? Because once we learn those principles, that is, you should say, the fruit of the lessons and the truths that we've come to understand God by. Thereby, we can create principles, make principles to live our life from because we know that that will help us in obeying and walking with God. Those are lessons that we learn in the process. But the more that you grow and mature, we begin to learn the process, right? This is why old people will talk to young people, and when they're flipping out, go, won't you just chill out? Won't you just, this is all part of it? It's all part of it? Why? Because they've come to learn the process, not just the lessons all along the process, and, and, and in learning the process, it enables us in the process to actually glean more from the process. That's why I say this is a learned process. You see, it's one thing which is very important to learn the lessons that God teaches you. The person that has to learn this, you know, some of y'all are living a Christian groundhog life. I know it's an old movie, but the principle holds true. Every day you wake up and you go through the same routine over and over again for one reason, because you just hadn't got the lesson yet. If you'd learned the lesson, you could wake up and a new day would dawn for you. I'm telling you, that's a personal testimony right there. Right? I mean, we, we get into those rhythms sometimes, but, but it's important to learn the lessons that God is teaching you if you want to grow unto maturity. But a far greater value is learning to identify the process through which those lessons are taught to you because that is how God is maturing you. Often we learn to identify the process in the church by the, the counsel that we receive, maybe from a pastor, but more likely just in conversation with our Christian brothers and sisters. And when we're speaking about a challenge that we're faced with and they tell us, you, you, this is what the word says, this is what you were receiving, that ongoing counseling. It's discipleship where we're learning how to identify sin and we're learning how to re repent of that and how to identify the very character and nature of God and live in light of that. That's discipleship. And, and this is identifying the process. And we hear a testimony of someone. We're encouraged by that testimony. That's God in the process. You see, when you learn to identify the process, you not only learn the lessons, but you begin to look to the Lord as he is leading to know the purpose of what he is doing. And this is where real transformation begins to occur because you don't flip out when you get in the midst of the process. When hard times come, you don't go, that's it, I'm out. You go, that's it, God, I got nothing but you. Why? Because you've learned to identify the process and you know the lessons are going to come. You know the revelation of God's truth is going to come. But that is secondary to being with God in the process because you want to submit yourself not to what you want, but to what he wants. And you say, God, I don't know if I got here in sin and I don't know if I got here doing the right thing, but I know I'm here and I know you're still faithful and true just like you were there. And so I'm gonna be with you right here. Friends, the lessons that are learned in the process spur our growth. But as I've said countless times, you can grow and never grow up, but you will never mature until you learn the process and its value for your life. The lessons learned in the process spur our growth, but the Lord, he becomes our focus in the process. 
to catalyze our transformation as we discern the process. Lord, I'm beginning to see what you're doing. I'm going to share with you two disciplines in my own life that have been most valuable for me. The regular reading of God's word, just the daily Bible reading. Sometimes I'll read chapter upon chapter, and sometimes I won't get through three verses. So I'm just telling you, it's all over. And sometimes yesterday's verses are today's meal again. Because I was living a groundhog day, and I woke up to it yet once again. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The regular reading of God's word and journaling. Now, journaling is not holy writ. I'll tell you that right now. It's a... It's a holy mess more than anything. I I don't journal the day's activities as much. I don't write, well, today I got up and I took a shower and I ate breakfast and then I went to work. I mean, that's great if some of you want to, you know, the early days of Twitter is what I call that. Hey, I'm going to head in and take a shower. Thanks for announcing that to the world. You know, we'll know, wait 10 minutes before we text you. Uh, When I journal, I I journal prayers typically. And I, I pray to the Lord so... Like I write his name and, and, and I'll write the things that are heavy on my heart. And almost uh, always those prayers are coming out of something I've just read or, or a lesson I've learned or something I'm struggling with, but I'm seeing it in his word. And, and I'm bringing Lane's word to bear on that to go, Lord, this is what I'm wrestling with and here's where I'm at. And, you know, I'm just kind of laying it out there. And so you're going to have to deal with this, God. That's kind of what I tell him. And God goes, good, because I want to deal with that. I've been dealing with that. That's why you're dealing with it. And in those two moments, see, it, it's not just that actually journaling is a pain to me. I don't like taking the time to do it because I don't like slowing down for anything. But one of the most fruitful practices for me has been to go back through journals of my life and to go, oh my, oh, oh my goodness. How many days can you live the same thing over and over and then begin to see how God was working through it all? He set me up. He, he held me up. He built me up. He carried me through. He led me forth. And I go, wow, I didn't see that in the midst of it. But now I can see it going back and learning those lessons about the process have helped me identify the process so that when it comes, by God's grace, because I still need so much of it, I've learned, okay, all right, I need to see what God is doing here and trust in Him. You see, When you begin to discern the process, you begin to seek not just the lesson that God can give to you, but the God who is the teacher of that lesson. And you begin to submit your heart and your spirit to him. To say, "What? what, you're going to change me. I know that. It scares me to death. I love change as long as it's happening to somebody else. But that's what he wants to do. And friends, you you must want to grow and mature if you're going to ever discern the process because look what he says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I've got to land this plane really quick here. The learned process is most distinguished by this characteristic, a heart of worship. If it's the Spirit of God convicting you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, however God is working in you, it should always always, always be producing a heart of love and adoration for Christ. 
if the work of your Christianity does not deepen your love for Jesus, you're not maturing, you're performing. You're not in the process. You're acting out something. In the information age, it's easy for us to take the commodity of data and believe that we can impress God with the same in our Christian faith. But when fear and trembling informs how we approach the process, we always assume the posture of our master. Humility, emptying self, and obedience. Humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. Humility is step one. Obedience is step two. There's never a different pattern in the process. And that always produces a deeper love, a greater affection for, and a deeper intimacy with Christ. When you approach the learn process from a heart of worship, you humble yourself in fear and trembling before God out of a great desire for His glory. When you approach the learn process absent of worship, your practice of your faith does nothing more than harden your heart because it bolsters your pride. True obedience, friends, is always an act of worship. Always. And so the learned process that matures in trusting Jesus always produces a greater worship and a glory for God in our life. Let's stop there for today. Why am I laboring in this for us? Because friends, I want you to learn the lessons and the truths and the revelations that God has given to us. But I want you to understand the process by which he is walking with you It is God walking with you every day in every way. Let's pray together.